Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. On this episode of Headstrong, I have partnered with sexual health brand Pasante. Now, Pasante provide sexual health products which inspire people to make better, healthier choices. They're well known for their wide range of high-quality condoms and lubricants and are one of the largest suppliers of condoms to the NHS and not-for-profit organisations, making sure everyone has access to sexual health products. Pasante also offer instant HIV test kits, both via the NHS and not-for-profit organisations, as well as online. So the option's there to be tested at home. Go follow them today. It's at Pasante UK on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or send them a direct message to find out more information on safe, fun and consensual sex. Strong, and you are listening to Headstrong. Now, this is a podcast where I sit down and have a good old chin wag and a chat to individuals in the public eye about their lives and their careers. But notably, I want to talk to them about their own experiences and often those experiences that have been challenging. And I do so because I want you, the listener, to seek inspiration and understand what it means to be headstrong. We are currently in season four and I've had some brilliant guests to date. But today's guest is rather fantastic and it is Nathaniel Curtis. Nathaniel is an actor who is currently playing one of the lead roles in Channel 4's It's a Sin. It's a Sin is currently the most watched Channel 4 drama ever. Nathaniel was incredibly generous with his time and we sat down to talk about all things It's a Sin, from Nathaniel's audition to meeting some of the other cast members for the first time and exploring his character, Ash. Now, I do urge you to go and watch this show. It is absolutely incredible. Please go and watch it. 
We also talked about more important things and more important matters than just a TV show. We talked about the importance of such a subject in today's educational system. I really, really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Just to let you know, there are some spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen this show, I do suggest you go and watch it first. Enjoy. Nathaniel, thank you very much for joining me on Headstrong. How's it all going? Very, very, very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. My absolute pleasure. I mean, again, how are you? We're talking at at probably what I anticipate to be an incredibly crazy period of your life. I mean, I've got to dive straight into it. Uh, We're talking as, as you're starring as Ash in It's a Sin on Channel 4, and it is the most watched uh, Channel 4 drama ever. I mean, that's crazy. How is it from your, from your end? How is it from your point of view? It's really weird to hear that as a statistic, um, because, I mean, it's just a show that I loved making with some people who I love very dearly, and then now that it's out, we hoped that, well, we knew that it was going to be good, but the response has been something else i mean that not only people just enjoying the show but what the show means to people the conversations that it's opening up the the just what people are seeing in this in this program is so so beautiful and it's so wonderful i i just couldn't be more proud to be a part of this production really have you noticed a personal change or, or a personal kind of uproar obviously uh there's probably a little bit more interest in your social feeds <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, you could say that. Um, I think it's very, very strange because w- so when the first episode came out, I um, I was on Zoom with my friends and then we watched the episode and I watched it on my own and I turned off my phone. And then when I turned my phone back on to jump back on Zoom with my friends again, uh, who were very excited about it, the I my phone just didn't stop vibrating at all. And I think it's it's been quite strange because we've been sat in this show for what a year now mm. and then now that it's out it's like thank god it's out but my wow just wow it's yeah it's been it's been insane it's been lovely though the the messages that i've been receiving um have been so kind and so lovely and then you have some people who are saying some slightly more interesting things which of course is expected with a role like ash but it's been it's been really wonderful well, yeah, but exactly. As we before we kind of explore the, the ins and outs of the show and the wonder that it kind of is, to the subscriber of Headstrong and also to anybody that's clicking on it because they want to hear your wonderful voice, we need to explain <laughs> what, what the show is. Um, because, of course, there are, it's a show that uh, captures some incredible highs and some pr- pretty devastating lows brought together through a magnificent story written by a wonderful writer. Um, how would you describe the show uh, if it was kind of an elevator pitch to a listener? To get them to listen. you got okay. one minute. Okay, so It's a Sin is a show um, by Russell T Davies, one of Britain's greatest writers. And it is about a group of friends in the 80s who have all moved to London and they're all young. They're all um, late teens, early 20s, and they are just discovering themselves. They are trying to live. They are trying to love. They are trying to get by. They are finding all of the joys that come with being that age and they're finding all the stresses that come with being that age. And then um, slowly, but very surely, a disaster sweeps through them and completely changes their lives. And yeah, that's Magnific- that is my pitch. And keep, there we keep, go. Yes, let's not give any give much too, too much away. But from here on in, <laughs> I'd probably suggest there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show, okay. pause the podcast. 
and go check it out. But I, I assume if you're listening, you're probably most definitely wanting to, to hear the ins and outs of what we're going to talk about. So you play Ash, um, who, um, you know, I've, I've watched the show twice now. And my partner, Charlotte, she's watched it three times. Um, she's absolutely in love. She, she's a massive fan and she's absolutely fangirling away that I'm doing this. So this is magnificent for her. Um, but so you play Ash and the character is arguably the, with the smallest, if non-existent, backstory. Um, which as, as an actor is quite often, uh, it can either be a help or a hindrance, but, but that, I suppose that did give you a little bit of, of freedom to an extent to play the role. I mean, how, how did you talk to Russell as well in terms of, of discovering who Ash was? Because a lot of the other characters, we meet their, their families and, and it really explore their narratives, but with Ash's story, what was, what was that like being able to explore his narrative? So I think that the fact that you don't hear about Ash's family at all, he doesn't talk about them apart from the disastrous moment that Richie has after they first tried to have sex, um, which is a scene I will never live down. But the, I think that the fact, I think that the way he shuts down and the way that it clearly, there is, there is, uh, there's an, a really there's a huge amount of damage there for Ash. And I think that not talking about his family actually says a lot more than if he were to go into what happened, there's clearly like clearly there had been something, um, and it's pro- it's obviously his sexuality, but it's either his choice or his family's choice that they have no contact. Even throughout the ten years that spans the show, with everything that happens to them, with everything that happens to Ash, he never goes to his biological family for comfort. It's always it's always the it's always the people that he has immediately close to him, and I think that. There's a real, there's an importance of showing chosen family, especially for a character like Ash, who, although yes, is very quiet and doesn't, he doesn't say an awful lot, um, and you don't learn an awful lot about him. But I think that that's, as an actor, it's a gift to be able to give him that. And I mean, the, the episode that airs tonight, there's a wonderful moment where Ash, I mean, it's a d- dreadful moment, but it's a beautiful moment where Ash has to tackle section twenty-eight, and there's the the he's very he never really lets his emotions get the best of him. And having that moment of passion where he has to speak, I think is so powerful because you, you see Ash very strong and very steady and very responsible. But the moment that he, there is an injustice, which he has to fight out against, he does. And I think that showing his strength and his resilience wasn't, um, it, it, it didn't need to be said. It was there in the script because Russell is a beautiful, beautiful writer but I, I didn't really have to try to show how much pain Ash was in from the very beginning. And I think that he starts off as, yes, he's young and everyone wants to sleep with him, but he, he is in pain. And I think that finding those friends, finding Jill, finding Richie, um, and I think that they kind of help shape him into the man who you, who you see him become. Absolutely. Particularly, you mentioned that, I mean, Russell is an incredible writer. On the rare occasion that you did perhaps uh, have a question about um, maybe who Ash was or the text, were you you able and comfortable to message message Russell? Was he on site? Um, Yeah, we could ask him anything. And I did. I didn't, I didn't want to ask him too many questions because I, obviously I have my own, not interpretation, but the way that I read the character and I'd taken that into my audition. And so I, they were clearly very happy about it, but also we knew that if Russell were to say to us, actually, you know, think about this line this way, it wouldn't be an insult to our work. It would just be him trying to bring out these 
gorgeous characters that he'd fleshed out. And yes, Russell, Russell did come to set a, a few times and he's just so lovely to be around. There's something about him. He just exudes this warmth. He's like a massive teddy bear. You just want to be close to him all the time and he's funny and he's so intelligent and he's just so kind yeah i mean you speak with a real warmth in your voice but i imagine that extends through through the entire cast and crew i mean you everyone from all, all the research that i've done and all the interest that has kind of surrounded the show it sounds like there was a real real community spirit within the within the cast and crew which is lovely to hear about but of course the show does cover a tragic period of history, uh, but it's such an important narrative to tell. But how 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 challenging was it initially when you first kind of knew that you were going to be involved in the show, that you were going to be covering this and delivering this and knowing the potential success that the show was going to deliver? Did you feel that there was a bit of pressure or uh, felt like there was a challenge? I think that we all wanted, I think the pressure came in the way that we all just wanted to serve the story. I and we none of us were taught about AIDS really at school I definitely wasn't taught about section 28 and in doing the research for this show once I got cast and even before then I just just reading and hearing these things is so it's so painful I don't even think painful is the word I think it's just it's disgusting actually the way that it's not talked about the way that it was not taught taught in schools why aren't we teaching our the next generation, I worked in education before I um, filmed it to sin. And I think that the fact that you, it's not talked about to students when you, in, in biology, in history, in just like social studies, I think that the fact it's not talked about is really, really shameful. But the pressure, we enjoy, I, I mean, I'd say I'd like to speak for everyone and I'm sure that everyone would say the same thing, but I just enjoyed making this. It was fun to make. And the days where we had difficult scenes to film, everyone was there. So everyone was so supportive and there was space given when you needed space. And there'd be a, just, there'd just be hugs and love and a cup of tea handed to you and people just making sure that you're okay. Because although yes, fine, it's, it's act, we're actors and we are portraying a fictionalized version of non-fictional events it's tough to tap into that. It's tough to have to try and relive that. I was born in 1990 and I, and so I, I, I wasn't there for the 80s. I, I don't know what that was like, but yeah, having to kind of tap, tap into something that was so close was really, really tough sometimes. But like I said, the cast, the crew, absolutely everyone was just so loving and caring and generous. We will come on to the um, educational part of it, which is something that I definitely want to talk to you about. And I'm actually delighted to know that you that you worked in education because I'm currently just working out in a school as well. Just, you know, just to get through things at the moment. Um, but it's always good to and do. It must but, be paid. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Not all of us can be in uh, Channel 4 dramas. Um, <laughs> 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 no, I, I jest, of course. Um, but what I wanted to know was, um, what was what was your knowledge then of of the eighties and indeed AIDS before going into the show? Like, did you have an in depth knowledge? Because something that I, I would like to note about Russell's writing is he really brings a story to life about something that is so incredibly detailed but through a group of friends and it makes it available to a wider audience, not a specific audience. And I think that's what's really engaging about it. Um, but so I didn't know what your kind of knowledge, uh, prior knowledge before the show was. Um, I think the breadth of my knowledge was 
that HIV and AIDS started, um, well, yeah, but came about in the eighties, and it affected mainly the gay community and um, New York and countries in Africa. I I think that is actually it, and yeah, and I'm actually ashamed to admit that, but I'm going to be completely honest. I knew very little. And it's not that I'm blaming education for it, but I think that I think it's quite interesting that it takes, as you say, a channel full drama to open conversations to get people to want to learn. It's yeah, that's that is all I knew. I'm afraid. No, I I, I'm, I mean I'm, I think I have to agree as well. It is it's incredible how how the power of media and television has has the capacity to deliver such an important message. But from from the response of this show. What can what can we continue to do uh, on an individual level, first of all, but then I suppose uh, as a nation as well to continue to to kind of continue this conversation and, and the necessity of education surrounding it. Get tested, <clears throat> get tested for HIV, even if you don't think that you're susceptible to it. Um, Google is our friend in this instance. The amount of people who um, after last week's episode. Um, I think it was like 4,300% was the amount that um, pe- like the research went up and people just things, people Googling things like can HIV cause seizures, which is, which isn't something that I knew would ha- could happen until I read the script. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, I, and also talk to talk to your friends in the LGBTQ plus community, talk to people who are around in the eighties. I know that the, I've had some people that I know personally, some people that I have met, some messages that I've gotten, people who are alive then, people who are directly affected aren't able to watch the show at the moment because it's too raw. And that is absolutely okay. There is there is no time that you have to watch this show, but I do think, and I'm not just saying it because I'm in it, but I think that this is a show that, you, that needs to be watched for education, for... And I, I don't even... I think that Russell's written this so beautifully in a way that you learn with the characters. You've, you spend the first half of the first episode falling in love with these characters, relating to these characters, laughing with these characters, um, being embarrassed for these characters. They're people that you know. They're pe- they're, I see my friends in all of them. I see my family in them. I see people that I love. And watching what they go through, learning with them and seeing the pain that, is caused and just seeing that they're just they're just trying they're just fighting they're trying to learn i think that that's really i think that the way that russell's done that is just gorgeous because it's not this is what happened these are the statistics it's it's what it's you're learning through feeling with them you're learning through empathy and i think that that's something that's incredibly important especially to people who don't know an awful lot about the hiv and aids crisis and who don't really have many friends in the lgbtq plus community and i think that because of that, the show is so relatable. I think, Sorry, I my think, answers are so long. My God. No, no, that please. The more, the better. That's 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 what's glory, glorious about a podcast. Um, that that's definitely answers kind of my next question then, because I was going to say what what TV and the response to to TV. It, the reason that it can deliver such an important message is because you do get attached to these characters, and you do kind of develop almost, as you say, emotional feelings and, and go on this journey with these characters. You know, I, I know that. It, I don't know if I'm meant to say this for Channel 4 or not, but I, I can. you can watch the whole show straight through online 
instead of waiting for it the, the weekly. And I think yeah. that was that's something you know. Bin, I know binging gets thrown around, but whatever. But you can just watch it, and you just I was in pieces at the end of, of the whole show. But that's interesting. Then let's let's look at the educational side of it. Whilst TV might be able to deliver that kind of um, emotional attachment and feeling regarding the educational side of it, what can we do? on the institutional side of education to help continue this conversation? Um, I think that, I think it needs to be taught in school. I think it is as simple as that. Um, And it doesn't need to be taught in a way to frighten students. But I think that in the same way that you learn about the Tudors and World War II, moments in history that changed society. And I think that you'd be a fool and a liar to say that this didn't change society. Maybe, you know, and I and I think that the inclusion, excuse me, what? The inclusion of LGBTQ plus history in school, although it's creeping in, I think that it needs to be there. I think it it's so important that it's there. Um, and I think that will help young people who don't know their, what their sexuality is, who don't know what their, if they're binary, non-binary, who don't know all of these things. I think that ha- learning about it just simply learning i think will help them as people become comfortable with who they are so they're not spending their 20s struggling um and yes that is my very long way of saying just teach just teach it i think something that's it's worth noting as well is that it's not even the fact that it's not even being taught there's not even the option um <laughs> it, it, in, even in the very basic levels of education and that is something oh, out Bring out, bring out the bucket of coffee, I see. Um, I told you, I promised a small bucket. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it is astounding that, um, it, that even education from when I was at school and then when you were at school, it's still very much the same and we still cover the same topics. And it's, I know that they constantly introduce things. And I know that it's not a quick process, but it, some things just should be taught. And it's, it's kind of almost astounding that some things aren't. And, and maybe it comes down to plain ignorance, um, or an inability to to commit to it. I just, I, I just don't know. But it's something that I agree with. You completely need. We need to see a change. And I think that for, like this, this show st- um, starts forty years ago. I think that forty years is. I think there's enough of breed. I think there's enough breathing space now. I think we can probably start talking about an entire community. Um, sorry, an entire generation of an entire community being wiped out. I think it's time. You know, come on. I couldn't agree more. Now, something that did shock me definitely personally from, from the show, again, it comes down to the, the way that it was shot, particularly was the kind of institutional violence um, towards the cri- AIDS crisis and also just in general kind of homophobia in the show. And it was, it's quite astounding. Um, was this something difficult to challenge yourself um, from a personal perspective? I mean, have you experienced something like this yourself in, in the current climate in the 21st century? Um, I am six at five. So recently, no, but I, I grew up in quite a small town um, and I am half Indian and half English. And at the time there weren't very many other children of colour apart from myself and my family. And I have had violent altercations due to mainly the colour of my skin, not for a long time. Um, and also I'm not someone who I'm not someone who condones violence. Really, I don't think that it's I don't think it solves anything. But I've had I've had those moments. But I 
watching the show, watching what happens, watching what happens at the end of episode four, what happens to Jill, I think is really frightening. But it's also really like I watched it and was like, well, I'm absolutely not surprised that, that would happen to her. A young woman of colour standing up for justice in the 80s. Um, I say in the 80s, look at now, look at what's happened in the last year. And it's gross. Oh, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And it makes me so ashamed. But yeah, I think that violence is something that's threaded throughout history in in the fight between right and wrong. And I think that I'd love to say, I hope that, I'd love to say that will change soon, but I can only hope. But with the way that society has developed, is there really a place for violence? No, but you have people who think that that is the only way to get their point across. This episode is in partnership with the sexual health brand Passante. Passante know how important sex education is, not least in relation to the prevention and treatment of HIV. Passante are thrilled that relationships and sex education, known as RSE, is now compulsory in all schools across the country. They believe this is going to have a huge impact on breaking down taboos and increasing awareness in all aspects of sexual health, both now and for future generations to come. Passante products are available for free via the NHS or can be bought online at affordable prices, but Affordability shouldn't mean compromising on safety. They ensure their products meet the highest safety standards so that everyone can enjoy sex knowing that they're in safe hands. And the pun is intended. Lastly, and most seriously, they believe in consent. So whoever with, whenever and however you have sex, make sure it is safe and consensual. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. Um, but if we could, um, I'm going to I'll ask to to rewind. We I feel like we've captured a lot of the essence of the show. But I want to I want to talk about sure. you. I want to talk about you. Let's talk about you. <laughs> so you, of course, are are an actor, and I need to know where, where did acting fit into your life as a young as a young boy? No idea. I really don't know. My family, are, um, but my I have I have the pleasure of having two incredibly intelligent sisters and I it's not that I wasn't academic I didn't like school I didn't like school I didn't like I, like I touched on very briefly school wasn't fun for me but I I don't know I think it was this is going to sound really pathetic and I know that a lot of actors say this but I think the ability to literally step into someone else's shoes just to escape I think there was something in that for me. And I loved, like, I loved entertaining people and making people laugh. And then when I was in secondary school, I had, uh, we had a new drama teacher, Mr. Borton, who is unfortunately no longer with us, but he, he opened, like, he just, he opened something within all of us, which wasn't just, oh, you know, drama is learning lines, making people laugh and like an easy graze which obviously it is not drama's really tough, but he, the way that he talked about it, the way that he, it was so intellectual, the way that he approached it. And it's, and I, and I immediately found myself wanting more. And so then I did drama for my A-levels and I took a gap year and I applied for drama schools. And then here we are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fill in the gaps <laughs> but, but yeah so 
yeah, I don't know. Like, I I can't really pinpoint a specific moment in my childhood. No, of I was like, I'm going to be an actor. I think I probably wanted to be a dinosaur, and then it changed. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to ask then. Did you kind? Did you kind of see um, acting and drama? I know that I certainly did um, from when I was at school. But I, I kind of used drama and that kind of group of friends that I found as my escape and my ability to express myself. Is that kind of something that you you just found a comfort in in what it helped you to do? And actually, you know, I don't think it's um, pathetic at all in what you were saying, because I think a lot of people, this kind of thing helps people find their feet. And look at you now, the people that were, were doing what they were doing at school to you are probably going, damn, I wish I was still friends with them. <laughs> you know, ultimately, that, that is what it boils down to. Um, and, you know, I know that school, a school environment is very tricky to navigate anyway, because there's always going to be, um, playground chat and there's but there's they, yeah. they don't quite understand the the implications of, of some of the things that they're saying particularly you know with, with whatever the conversations might be around but yeah as I say I think drama has the ability to to unite um, and give you a kind of a platform to express yourself did, did you feel that that was something yourself then completely completely and I think that all forms of art be it you know paintings be it music be it acting be it yeah i think that the way that it brings people together in feeling i think that the way that it can the way that art expresses itself in a way to make you feel not just think about things is so glorious and i think it's so needed especially when you're young and you don't really know what's going on um and i think that I th- yeah, I think that I found I found a little part of myself which I wasn't really sure what like how to how to let it out, and I think that that expression just I couldn't let go of it. I could not let go of it, and I and I yeah, and I and I found that I was able to be more of myself. So I mean, school is a massive time um, to build friendships, and quite often build friendships for life. So I, I was just curious: do you still have people that you can lean on, be that from school or drama school? Um, I I have a couple of friends from school, um, and a happy handful of friends from drama school. I think that you kind of pick up more friends as you as you go. And I I graduated drama school seven years ago. Hang on, how old am I? Yes, seven years ago. And I think that now at thirty years old, I've lived different experiences where you have people from kind of every walk of life who have, who help you and who shape that, who you're becoming for the next stage. And I think that's really important to hold on to them. Yeah. Now let's, let's talk about East 15 then, because that's where you trained um, as an actor. What was that process for you then getting into drama school? Was it, um, did you kind of know at that point that it was going to be a realistic career for you as in like you know that's how you're going to be making your money as an actor or in the creative industries and that was your your kind of goal going into East 15? Um, I, <laughs> I applied for drama school on a whim I just thought I'm just gonna go for it because who knows I have absolutely no idea how it's gonna work out but <coughs> excuse me I'd been told I'd actually been told at school that I wasn't good enough to be an actor that I was that I could that I'd be a teacher uh, and that was that was um, that I should that's something I should pursue. So I, of course, with the you know the headstrong youth, um, turned around and was like, "Well, I'm going to apply anyway." <laughs> so I did, and I got into the foundation course at E15 Drama School. And um, then when I was there, because that's a one year course, I then applied for other courses, and I actually broke my ankle halfway 
halfway between all my auditions. Um, and so I couldn't go to half of them, but I'd gotten into E15 for the three year course and I stayed and it was, and I just, I think that especially at that time in my life, I was just thinking, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. And if I have to change something else down the line, I do it. What was, what was your backup then? Did you have like anxieties, like as in coming out of drama school? Did you have an agent? What, what's the, what's the goss? Um, what was my backup? Uh, I don't know. I didn't have a backup. I think there were other, you know, I, I worked, as I said, I worked in education. Um, I was a teaching assistant and that was, that was something that I, at, at the moment, I went five years without an acting job after leaving E15. And I, um, I, I had graduated with an agent, yes, but then um, I just, I, I just don't think I was ready. You know, if I'd have played a role like if, if I'd have played a role like Ash at twenty three, I wouldn't have been able to play him in the same way because I didn't have that maturity. I didn't have that that sense of myself, which I think was very was needed for it. And so I went five years without a job, and then um, I got a new agent. And then within a couple of weeks. At the beginning of 2019, I'd gotten the part of Romeo. <clears throat> and then halfway through Romeo and Juliet, I got It's a Sin. And then there we go. <laughs> and the, the journey begins, I, say, I suppose. Yeah. <clears throat> you absolutely. must be incredibly excited about the future. I actually really, really am. <laughs> That's good. And so you should be. And also, I sorry, I didn't mean to say what was your backup as in, like, did you have a backup? No, no it's no, so good. It's absolutely fine. I think, um, you know, I, you know, at the back of every every actor's mind, particularly, I know from my, 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 my point of view, it's like you always do have that anxiety of when is the next job coming and when it, where, what do you do? And so that always did, did and does worry me, I suppose. Um, and I just didn't know that if you, you'd experienced those kind of those similar feelings. Oh, gosh, absolutely. I think every actor does. I mm. think that. You are, I think that some actors are very, very lucky to go straight from drama school to a job, to a job, to a job, and then make their career. But I think that realistically, especially now, unfortunately, the, the, there is a waiting period. And I think that it's very important that that waiting period is not just taken up with anxiety, which of course it will be. All, anx- all actors are anxious about things. But I think that I was very lucky and that I had a really great group of people around me who supported me and who loved me and who on the days when I was like, well, screw this, I'm just going to give up because like, there's nothing. Um, the people that were like, no, no, it's okay. Let's just get through today and then we start again tomorrow. And I think that it's really important to have people who support you, no matter who they are. They can be grandparents, they can be parents, they can be family, they can be friends, they can be colleagues. It's really important to have those people just say, it's going to be okay. Absolutely. Now, this was, as you say, your, your first TV show. And then prior to that, it, Romeo was your first professional credit. Now, let's talk about your approach to auditioning then, because you, you just said there that you kind of had five years where you, you yourself couldn't, whether it was, you know, yourself or, you know, the roles weren't right for you, but you, you were unable to um, be cast in anything. How, how, what's your approach to auditioning then? Have you, have you changed your approach or is it actually just having that resilience and, and just actually not taking it personally? I think there's a bit of both. <clears throat> I think that as an actor, I've definitely changed, especially after It's a Sin. Um, and I think that, you know, young and doe-eyed, fresh out of drama school, I think there's the the fear of, oh, I have to get this perfect. It has to be, it has to be completely right. And I think that not having, not, not doing what you think they want, I think is really important. And I think, I, and I actually, it's really annoying that I can't remember who told me this, but, 
I was once given this beautiful piece of advice um, and it was just nobody in the room wants you to fail. And I think it's really important. I think it's incredibly important that actors remember that. And I, and I wish that I'd have known that when I was younger, but yeah, I think that having a little bit of faith in yourself, not to the point of egotism. Um, is that a win? It is now. Uh, <laughs> and, but it, uh, but I, I think that, having some pride in yourself and not taking it personally, I think is really important. And, you know, to this day I'm still auditioning and I'm like, am I going to get it? I don't know. Am I right for this part? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Um, so that's interesting. I, I'm really pleased to, to hear about your kind of uh, approach to auditioning and acting and, and that you obviously stuck with it because now we get to see you as Ash in It's a Sin. But let's talk about that audition then for It's a Sin. <laughs> you were in Romeo and Juliet back in the days when, of course, live performances were actually allowed um r.i.p um R. I. I hope, well I, I hope very very soon we're allowed to see those back because i miss the theater a, a lot so much what was that so much isn't it isn't it just the most magnificent experience <sighs> and i miss it but what um what was that audition process like then so did you get sent your audition for it's a sin then um yes uh yeah. by email so and I... what, was, what was the what was the process okay so i'd been sent this audition um, for a show called what was then the boys and i read it and i'd been sent three episodes and i'd been sent um the audition text for ash which included um the very first line and the first conversation with richie and so i i'd read it and been like okay so there's no shying away from this fine um and part of and i and part of me just thought i'm not gonna get this I'm not going to get this. I've come from absolutely, I've got one, I'd done, um, I'd been in Pride and Prejudice at Regent's Park Open Theatre at drama school and I'd just played Romeo and I was playing Romeo. I'd had no other credits. They were going to go for someone else who was a better actor, more successful and a bankable name. I was like, well, I'm not going to get this. So I'm just going to go in, I'm going to do what I can and then I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to meet Andy Pryor who everyone loves Andy Pryor, the casting director because he is the nicest man in the world. And so I did. I went in, I auditioned, I read the part, and then I went and did a show. And then a week later, I got a call from my agent just saying, okay, so you have a recall on Thursday. And my and I and I just said, Why? <laughs> Why <laughs> they want to see me again? But they did, and I went in and I did the recall in front of Andy, the producer Phil, and the original director. Um, and again, I just I gave it everything. I gave it absolutely everything because I thought I'm not going to get it. So I might as well make a good impression for if they want to consider me for something else. And then I went away on tour with Romeo and Juliet and I was on Winchester high street. We were getting smoothies and um, I'd been auditioning for something else. And so, um, and I'd asked a question about that and I'd kind of put um, it to send back to my mind, to the back of my mind, because I was like, well, I had a great time. It was lovely. I loved the script and I really wanted to do it. But I think because I really wanted to do it, I had to say to myself, Nathaniel, you've got to chill because you cannot be disappointed. And so I was on the on the high street, got a phone call from my agent and he was like, okay, so we've heard back. I was like, and I just went, look, I had a great time. It was lovely. I loved meeting everyone. It's a beautiful script. I can't wait to see it. He was like, you, you booked it. You got Ash. And I just remember in my mind it was just a, like, just like a flurry of swear words. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, incredible. But I'd got, yeah. And so that's, 
that's it. There's there's absolutely no glamour to that story. It's just me being a bit of a mess thinking, I don't even know what's going on. It's, it's, but it's amazing. And it's so, it's so lovely to hear. And like, you know, you, of course you had to be in the most normal of places, just, you know, in yeah. the, the juice, grabbing your, your kale smoothie. Grabbing, <laughs> yeah. And, and I was just like, sure. Okay. Right. I'm just going to go and film this then. Okay, great. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Now I'm curious. Did you um, did you meet any of the uh, the cast before you started? Then were they, were they involved in any of the auditions, or was it literally you went in on day one and you met them? So we didn't have a chemistry read, which surprises a lot of people. Um, but I just, yeah, I, lo- I just love them all. I love, I love them all so much. I love them. I just want to squeeze them all the time. Um, but so I, after I've been cast, I was talking to the director and. Um, he said, he told me about Amari and Callum and I'd seen Callum's Let It Shine audition and it's jokes. He's so funny. And Amari, I, um, the powers of Google. Um, and I, and I, and I then became aware of who they were. And then we were all put into a group chat and we just kind of, we just, it was quick hellos starting to get to know each other, but I was in the middle of doing a show. Callum was still at drama school. Amari was doing something and um, they were able to meet up um, for a drink. I was meant to go with them, but it was one of my friend's birthdays. So I couldn't go. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And then at my second costume fitting, I found out that it was Lydia who having seen years and years and thinking this girl is amazing, amazing. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Um, and then I was also told about Neil Keeley and Ollie, and I just thought, I have to snog Ollie Alexander. All of my friends are going to be so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so yeah, so I didn't meet any of them. I, I, there was a quick hello to Lydia the day before the read-through and just went straight into the read-through, said hello, gave everyone a massive hug, sat down and read the script. Pulled up your big boy socks. <laughs> there we are. And I just, but it was really strange having, like, having met them, there's not, I'm not really someone who gets starstruck, but I met them. I was like, oh, these people are great. Like, and there was, there was an immediate comfort having actually met everyone. Cause I'd spoken to Callum and Amari a fair bit, but then once we were all in the room, it was like, oh yeah, like this is going to be really easy to pretend to be these people's friends. And I think by the end of the end of the first day, we were like, We've got this, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> there's, no, there's no pretending in it at all. And in fact, that's something that um, the show really captures is just that whilst the show completely explores, uh, you know, the friendship within that house, I, I, can, I can imagine now that you guys are as tight as anything. Oh, yeah. We, we talk every day. Every day. And we, we're all going through this incredible time together. And I mean, I don't think, I mean, none of us knew that it would be as big as it is um but i mean we hoped we we hoped like we knew it would do well but the res- the 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 response has been beautiful and it's really nice that we've all got each other like so especially after the first week um the first week when it think when it was just everywhere and i get bored of my own face and voice very easily you can't tell because i'm talking an awful lot this morning i'm so sorry <laughs> but it was really nice to have people who, yes, although I've got friends and family who are really supportive, actually having people who are in the same boat as me being like, am I, am I dealing with this? Okay. And yeah, this, I mean, the support from them just from day one, from the moment we sat down that route through, I couldn't have, couldn't have, I don't think I could have gotten through lockdown without them as well. 
Oh, that's really sick. honestly. That's amazing. Um, did you who who on set then was your kind of go to? Um, I share most of my scenes with um, Ollie and Lydia, so I think it was. I mean, Lydia. Lydia's kind of the centre of our group. And it's not even that she's our mum, it's just that she's like, she's the middle of the group. She is like, Lydia is, I mean, it's Lydia West. It's Lydia West. <laughs> and it's, she's just, uh, there's so much, there's so much love between us all. And then you've got David Carlyle who um, plays Gloria and is just the most gorgeous, sweet man. And just between all six of us, because I shared most of my scenes with Ollie, um, I, I think that we became, and also with the nature of our scenes, you have to become close quite quickly. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, you were, you were thr- thrust into the deep end on that one, I think. Um, was there... I'm not intended. <laughs> Interpret it how you will. <laughs> Unintentional when I said it. On reflection, very much intended. <laughs> um, as we can kind of reflect on that kind of, that four-month shoot then, all, all together... It's, it's, it's so important to have had those strong bonds then, but what was your, your most challenging moment? <clears throat> um, for myself, I think, yeah, I think for myself, it was the first day of the sex scenes purely because it was my first, I've not, I've not done a screen job before and I've never taken my, all of my clothes off before in um in that like for for a job so it was the the initial moment i think it was just that first the build up that first moment we took our robes off and did our first take that my my heart i could actually like feel my heart like pounding in my chest so there was that but then we had intimacy coordinators and we had the most the most beautiful crew you will ever imagine I I oh, I just loved the crew. So every every single person on that set was just a dream. And then obviously Ollie Alexander, who is one of my favourite people in the world. Um, and so I was I got very comfortable very quickly. Um, and then I think for myself, as someone who isn't really someone who cries, I think the moment where Ash gets a very painful phone call in episode five, although there are no words having to like just filming that it took it out of me and it's not a very long scene i think it's about 10 seconds but i was exhausted exhausted doing that and i just wanted to i think that i i was so aware of the show being more than just these characters i wanted to serve the story and that's something that i was desperate to do and i didn't want to i didn't want to let anyone down i think is a big thing for that story Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no, that's incredibly emotive. That that moment. I mean, it, it's magnificent. And and I can I can only imagine as well um, the feeling of anxiety. Like I've never done any nudity scenes in, in anything. And just but like the the apprehension of okay, there's quite a few people in this room that are all going to be watching me do this, and it's going to be captured for a nation to watch. But then you've kind of got to just think in in kind of you've got to compartmentalize almost. So what do you? How obviously Channel Four. And the production team provided the, the the coordinators, which is obviously hugely beneficial. But and then again as well, it's the friendship as well that you've probably formed with Ollie as well that that really helped just make things comfortable because that's the last thing you want. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I we couldn't have done it without the intimacy coordinators. 
I, as a role, it is, it's so, so important to have them there. And I actually knew one of the intimacy coordinators from ESF team. He was an old friend of mine and it was lovely to have him there. Bit weird, very weird, but really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and having, I, I think that sex is, sex is such an important part of this story. It's not just, you know, oh, they're just going to go off and, and have sex. It's, it's the way that it's it starts you know it's it's fun it's they want to sleep with who they want and love who they want and that's great but then obviously because of HIV and AIDS it's 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 integral that you show that that you show that they were having fun that you showed that they were just enjoying themselves and there was there's absolutely nothing wrong in that um but yeah and then I I didn't have as many um intimate scenes as Ollie or Amari which was nice nice little easy way in for me but ollie yeah i think that because obviously it was a close set and all the crew were really really lovely and really supportive and very patient i think that although that was amazing at the end of the day it is just you and your scene partner and so and i remember after they did the first take and i was quite nervous still but then Ollie was humming and I just, and I looked and was like, what are you like? Cause they put our robes, they put our robes over my back and over his stomach just whilst they changed like a light or something. I can't even remember what it was. And I was like, Ollie, what are you humming? And he just started singing, let it go from frozen at me. I was like, Oh, cool. Great. That's where we are. <laughs> and that was it for the rest of the day. I was absolutely fine. Just kind of, I had to take myself out of my head for that moment. Just get, get that. That's a, that's a nice kind of comfort. Absolutely. Now, of course, we can reflect on the whole show as an entity. It's just absolutely wonderful. And it sounds like you reflect on it with such kind of love. But what was your favourite moment then? If we go from devastating moment, but then let's go to your favourite moment or experience on set. What was your favourite? Oh, I loved... Okay. Oh, okay, right. Hang on. And you can have a short list. You can have a short list. Okay. Yes. Thank you. That's <laughs> um, for me, the, the house party in episode one was so fun to film it was funny it was loud it was wonderful it was so technical um and it was i loved it i loved absolutely every second of that um i loved uh the i loved filming the bit in episode two where richie is like oh i don't believe it that whole sequence that flurry of scenes which just gorgeous on screen filming that was again really fun basically anytime we were all together i think is is the is my sh um, short answer. Anytime all of us, all six of us were together. Um, and for myself, I loved having the moment where um, Ash has seen the library. Filming that was really, I felt really, I think because I was just thinking, okay, so I'm the only person in this. And it was the first time that obviously Ash is having a moment of his own, really. I think that that really, yeah, I just, I felt really strong. And I think that was really important for me as an actor. <laughs> completely, completely. Um, as, as we kind of wind down then, and we, by the time this episode comes out, the show will have been completed in its full um, kind of entity and everyone will have seen the, the narrative, which is fantastic to have got, got the story out and everyone see this show, but potentially daunting. So is the phone ringing for you? What is next? That's what I want to know. Um, have you got, um, got any plans yourself, projects lined up? Uh, you? Yes. Um, maybe. Hopefully. There are, there are some things in the pipeline. There are, um, there are some things which I have auditioned for, which are wonderful, wonderful projects. And actually, it's really lovely that people are saying that 
they've seen the show and that they are impressed with my performance. And it's really, really humbling to have all these to, to have all these auditions, especially at a time like this, when there aren't very many auditions around. And I am fully aware of how very, very lucky I am. Um, and it's nice to have hard work pay off. But there are some things in the pipeline. Nothing is, well, nothing's confirmed yet. Um, but there are, let's see, let's see. I mean, I'd also love to go on holiday. I think that's something that I'd really like. <laughs> <laughs> let's go and lie in the sun and drink wine <laughs> and with some with friends but um at the moment i think we're just kind of riding this wave definitely and it's and it's wonderful and it comes out in america on the 18th yes 18th of february and who that's who immensely exciting yeah yeah so it's less than a week now from when we're wow. doing this podcast that's gonna which be amazing incredible it's incredible. And I'm just, I'm just excited. And again, I'm just very proud of this show. And I think that as an actor, any, any work that you do, any role that you play, there has to be, there is pride in your work. But I think that this is so much more than I thought it would be. And I could not be more thrilled to be a part of this production. But yes, who knows what's going to happen next. But I, I can't wait. I just, I don't really know. But I'm very excited excited. to find out. Very, very exciting. It's very easy to, to be completely absorbed in this moment. But I'm very curious to ask you, what, what, what's your kind of five-year, ten-year goal? I could not tell you. I don't know. That's it. That's honest. That's and my that is okay. Answer. I don't know. And I can't wait to find out. I Look, two years ago, would I have seen myself here? <laughs> nope. Nope, not at all. Not, not in the slightest. And... I am excited to see what happens. I don't want to li- I don't want to put myself in a box and say, okay, so when I am 40 years old, I will be playing yes. um I will I will be playing Macbeth at the RSC. I'd love to play Macbeth at the RSC. But I also I want to I want to try everything. And I want to see what happens. And I just want to I just want to give it all a go. No idea. Because you can. So yes. Because I can. Well, I mean I hope I can. I'd love obviously nothing is nothing is determined but yes i don't know where i'll be in five or ten years but i can't wait to find out can't wait for the journey so um nathaniel i've really enjoyed this but there's one question i ask every guest at the end of every podcast um and you've actually already used the word today but i'm curious um, what does the word headstrong mean to you headstrong headstrong i think headstrong for me is made up of two parts i think it's made up of determination and passion and I think that headstrong is I think at the end of the day keep going that's it for me that's what it means to me personally absolutely look Nathaniel I have loved this conversation thank you so much for joining me thank you so much it's been wonderful it's been so lovely thank you so much for having me and um well and here's to all the success that the, of anything that's going to come your way and and hopefully all, all the all the glory of America Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so nerve wracking. But yes, I don't know. Let's see. I am delighted to have teamed up with sexual health brand Passante for this episode of Headstrong. And I have actually asked their marketing executive, Chloe, at Passante, to tell me what Headstrong means to them as a brand. So, Chloe, take it away. Hey, Louis. Can I just say uh, on behalf of Passante uh, that we're so excited to be partnering with you on this amazing podcast and topic. Uh, So as a brand, we believe that being headstrong is feeling confident about where you are now, 
whilst being excited for what is to come. It's about having conversations with others about how you're feeling and being brave enough to show your vulnerabilities, as this is a sign of true strength. Headstrong for Pisante is also about consent. It is about speaking your mind and saying no if things don't feel right for you. I think that's a great definition of headstrong. Thank you so much, Chloe. And remember, everybody, to practice safer sex and always wear a condom. And definitely go check out Pisante on all socials at Pisante UK. And that is the end of this episode with Nathaniel Curtis. I am hugely thankful to Nathaniel and his team for their generous time and work on this episode of Headstrong. I really enjoyed that conversation with Nathaniel and he was really engaging. We managed to talk about a variety of things and some things that he's clearly so very passionate about and certain things that need such an important conversation. So I'm delighted to say thank you to him and thank you to his team. Thank you to you, the listener, again, for clicking on Headstrong and downloading the podcast. Every listen and every listener matters to me. So thank you so much. If you have enjoyed the show, please do share it with your family and your friends and send it on to anyone who you think might enjoy it. Also, if you have enjoyed it, feel free to check out the backlog of episodes that we do have available with some other wonderful guests. Now, I will be releasing another episode next week. So if you have enjoyed this conversation, go and rate this podcast and subscribe so you don't miss out. See you next week and stay safe and stay headstrong. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.